Monday, it's a new episode of All Rise, the legal drama where one judge is shaking up the system. When I take the bench, I'm taking a vow to fight for justice. One case at a time. Your Honor, we're going to trial. Simone Misik is Judge Lola Carmichael. Up on that bench. Everything is different. A new episode of All Rise. Freedom is at stake. It's important. Followed by a new episode of Bull, Monday at 9, 8 central on CBS. Hackers are after your business data. I can help. I am Vi, the virtual intelligence assistant at Virtual Armor. Virtual Armor, partnered with Juniper Networks, provides cybersecurity services and end-to-end solutions to keep what's yours, yours. Defend yourself with managed firewall and managed SIM essential core services that are economical and efficient. Virtual Armor goes beyond just initial alerting to provide a thorough report on threats, vulnerabilities, and results. Let me help protect you. Contact me at JustAskVi. That's vi.com. And here we go. My opponent is against oil, guns, and God. I am the Democratic Party right now. 47 years, you've done nothing. Everything Americans value hangs in the balance. We have an obligation under the Constitution to use every arrow in our quiver. This is the most important election in the history of our country. I believe that. This is Devious Motives with Brett Winterbull. And welcome. It is Devious Motives. Episode number 28, Famous 28, uh, coming at you today, and uh, I'm happy to be here with you. Uh, Basically, uh, the vast majority of this podcast is going to be a conversation I just had with Spencer Kimball from Emerson College Bowling, and it's very worthwhile hearing what he has to say about this election. We kind of take a a tour uh, around the... Uh, around the uh, the different states, the different races, and what it means. Now, I, I will cut to the chase and tell you I don't I don't pin them down on a uh, on a specific outcome, but there is a lot to consider and to look at in this election. When you look at the dynamic that's playing out right now in this country, it's almost like a race against the clock. You have a, a race to get the votes in, while simultaneously you've got four candidates. Right, you've got Biden Harris and Trump Pence out there around the country campaigning. You have a COVID uh, explosion taking place, right? A spike in the COVID numbers that are out there. You've got weather events. You've got a, a 7.0 earthquake over in the Mediterranean. I mean, the world events are moving at a super fast pace. It's Halloween weekend in front of the election. The clocks are going to change. I mean, just... Everything imaginable is happening in in the next uh, 72, 96 hours. And it's incredible when you really think about uh, what it is that we're seeing uh, take place here, right? What we're seeing take place is history. And I want to start at a top-line observation uh, as it relates to where we are in this country right now. The top-line observation is basic, and, and it's easy to understand. What you have right now is a brand in Donald Trump running against a person who has been in public office on and off for 47 years. That's a big deal. What you had with Obama in 2008 and into 2012 was a brand. What you had with Reagan in 1980 was a brand. People wanted to affiliate with the brand. They wanted to be a part of the brand. And it's why, and Spencer does get into this in our conversation It's why there's so much intensity around people who supported Obama and people who supported Reagan and people who supported 
Trump. Now, Pence is a very loyal lieutenant, but he's not a brand. He is Mike Pence. He is vice president of the United States, very competent guy, even keeled guy. He is not he is not a, a brand. He's a conventional politician that works closely with the president. When you think back to 1980, Reagan getting elected with George H.W. Bush as his veep, and then the re-election in 84, and then, of course, the, the uh, standalone election of George H.W. Bush in 88, Reagan was a brand. People weren't coming to Reagan Bush because of the Bush. They were coming to Reagan Bush because of Reagan. Uh, even to a lesser extent, though, there wasn't really a plurality with Bill Clinton because in 92 you had Ross Perot operating as a spoiler against Bush. Uh, Bill Clinton was a transformative figure in that he was a different generation, but he wasn't a brand. And that is what's important. Joe Biden is not a brand. Joe Biden is a stopgap. Joe Biden is, and I'm not saying this to be insulting, and I'm not saying this to be partisan. Joe Biden is, is, is a guy you plug in to wait for the person you really want. And I'm sorry to be that nasty or, or, or direct or whatever you want to call it if you're a Biden supporter. But I mean, come on. There were brands that ran in the, in the 2020 campaign. You know, right now, if you look at Kamala Harris running uh, as, as for the vice presidency of the Democratic Party, you have to understand that she announced for the presidency back on January 21st, 2019. That is 635 days ago, I think. 635. Like, let that sink in. That's how long this has been going on. The very first people to announce running for the, for the presidency of the United States, actually it was Donald Trump when he announced his re-election uh, in, in, uh, in, in 2017. Uh, and he announced that Vice, Vice President Pence would be his running mate and all that sort of stuff. But you, you start having the Democrats falling in the line on the back end of those 2018 elections that gave you AOC, Rashida Tlaib, Ilhan Omar, Nancy Pelosi as the speaker, uh, Adam Schiff uh, coming in as, as the uh, head of the Intelligence Committee. So what I'm saying is there was a brand. You know who the brand was that ran in 20, in tw for the 2020 nomination for the Democratic Party? Beto was a brand. It wasn't a very good brand. But Beto was a brand. Klobuchar is not a brand. Kamala is not a brand. Um, if Gavin Newsom ran, he'd be a brand. If Cuomo ran, he'd be a brand inside the Democratic Party. But, but the fact of the matter is, you don't have brand power. And brand power brings you back. Your favorite beer. Your favorite wine. Your favorite restaurant. Your favorite uh, movie franchise. Your favorite supermarket. You go again and again and again and again because you like the brand. Why do you buy Nikes if you're, if you're in favor of supporting uh, slave labor in China? You buy them because you like the brand. Just do it. In fact, I saw somebody who liked the brand so much they were looting sneakers at a footlocker in Philadelphia and had, while they were doing it, a Just Do It Nike swoosh sweatshirt on. Branding is powerful. And when you have somebody like President Trump, a guy who has said things, done things that you might not like, that you might hate, that you think are terrible, whatever it is, 
at the end of the day, the people that are going to back him up are a brand. There's a reason why you get 150 people showing up at a rally for Kamala Harris in Charlotte. There's a reason why you get 72 people showing up for a rally with Joe Biden. But then in the parking lot, you've got 3,000 Trump supporters. It's because they're out there defending not the man, not even the policy. They're defending the brand. It's it. It's what it comes down to. And so when you, when you think about the cars you buy, I buy Ford, I buy Chevy, I buy Audi, I buy Volkswagen, I buy Tesla, I buy Nissan. And, and you have to make a decision, a, a quick decision. Jimmy needs a new car. Bobby needs a new car. Tessa needs a new car. Well, let's just go over to the Kia, Nissan, Ford, Chevy dealership and just get another dot, dot, dot. That's what branding means. And you haven't really seen it very often in the world of politics. Uh, FDR was a brand. Teddy Roosevelt was a brand. But that was well before the notions of brands were, were running. It was a different America. Uh, JFK was a brand. And, and certainly Richard Nixon was a brand. And in many ways, uh, Richard Nixon was kind of the role of Joe Biden. And, and, and Kennedy was kind of the role of Trump in that it was the, the new thing that was interesting to people. Don't underestimate the power of the brand. And, and, and the challenge with a guy like Joe Biden is this. He is running as the reliable stopgap guy that we can just kind of plug in until we figure this out. But if the alternative to figuring it out is a president, Kamala Harris, a San Francisco liberal, more liberal than Bernie Sanders. That's where the stopgap is discarded and disregarded and you go to the brand. Because you know that even if the Trump brand collapses, Vice President Pence is a guy who is a, a competent second who can fill in for the brand until you find the next big brand. And you know what? We may never find the next big brand. If we go from Reagan to, to, to Obama in 08 or Reagan to Trump, those, those are remarkable moments. You're seeing politics being fundamentally transformed we may never have a conventional politician run again because in this day and age we may be in brandville just my two cents i'm brett Witterbull. coming up next spencer kimball emerson college polling will break it all down for you you're listening to devious motives you're listening to devious motives you're listening to devious motives happy to welcome back to the show spencer kimball uh, Spencer Kimball is with Emerson College Polling. He's at Emerson College in Boston. And, you know, Spencer, you and I have been, we've been doing this for a long time, actually. We've been doing this since, like, what, 2016, I think, right? We're, we're, we're at least four years into this ongoing conversation regarding polls and politicking, right? We sure have. It's been uh, a good five years together, and it's a pleasure to speak with you again, Brett. Hey, I'm happy to have you here. So, I, I'm... <laughs> I guess I could just ask you out of the box, who's going to win this thing? But I know it's it's anybody's ball game. I, I want to drill into some of these polls, though, and get a sense from you what you see at these different states and at these different levels of of, of this uh, this election. Uh, it's just an open-ended question. How do you see things as we approach Tuesday? Well, I, I see a close race, and I, I really think the election is in the balance. There's a lot of states that are really close, like North Carolina, 
And if North Carolina is a state that was to, at the end, break for Biden, well, now maybe North Carolina, maybe Texas, maybe Florida will all shift in that way in the South. But what is if North Carolina firms up for Trump and then Georgia firms up and Texas firms up? And I don't think people would be shocked to hear. And, and now all of a sudden we, we're looking at a similar path way for Trump as he had in 2016, which puts a lot of pressure up on Pennsylvania. And I think you're seeing a lot of candidates up there, you know, politicking because they realize Pennsylvania um, or maybe there's a big surprise in the Midwest. We've seen Minnesota come in close, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, Michigan, Wisconsin, uh, you know, has some weird numbers out there. It could be one point game. It could be a 17 point game, uh, depending on, on which polls that you, you um, listen to. So, yeah, I think you can you can see that dynamic. A state like Nevada, I don't think, is necessarily off the board, um, just like Arizona. And if you see a march to the polls in Arizona, you might see that up in Nevada. And so to me, all of these races that are in two, three point ranges are really too close to call because I think you have an, a unique turnout issue this year. It's interesting because one of the states that, that keeps popping up, and I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have thought it was really in play. You would know way better because you're right there. Is New Hampshire? The president has spent a lot of energy on New Hampshire uh, as as well. Um, the polls I saw show that uh, Sununu is is leading in the gubernatorial fight, but it's not looking good for the Republicans elsewhere. Um, what 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 about the role that New Hampshire may play in this? You know, once upon a time, a reliably uh, red granite state rugged individualism, et cetera. And then it got invaded by a bunch of folks from Boston. <laughs> well, yeah, we'll talk about New Hampshire, but it, it just made me think of Virginia, but we'll mm -hmm. talk about that one later. But New Hampshire is a state, as you mentioned, it used to be ruby red. Uh, it was a Republican stronghold. This is the first time in a decade the Democrats now outregister Republicans. Wow. So they put money into the state. They now are 32% of the vote. Republicans are 30%. Um, which is really uh, a, a huge shift. And, and I, that's why I do mention Virginia, because that happened, you know, 15 years ago, right. where all of a sudden Virginia, which is a solid, solid red state, um, switched over uh, because of voter registration and, and organizing. But I'll say this about New Hampshire, which makes it, yes, you're going to have Sununu, who probably wins the governor's race. He is uh, the Republican. And then you'll have the Democrat, Shaheen, and she'll probably win the uh, U.S. Senate race, and they'll probably, and she's the Democrat, they'll probably both win by 10 points. Mm -hmm. So you're looking at a lot of tickets splitting up there. See, what's different between New Hampshire and these other states, they are going to vote on election day. Uh, only about a quarter of their vote is already in as opposed wow. to the rest of the nation. So you're going to see a lot of election day voters. And generally speaking, those tend to be breaking for Trump. So he might be seeing in his numbers yeah, I might be down generally, but when it comes to New Hampshire and mm -hmm. people who are actually going to vote, he might be able to pull out a, another surprise, though. Obviously, he's trailing, and we're not seeing the type of movement necessarily that we saw in 2016 where Clinton was up, and then we just watched her every week losing mm -hmm. points after points. Um, this one seems to be around the, the seven, eight-point mark right now. You mentioned the Commonwealth of Virginia, a significant location as well. Uh, can you talk a little bit about what you're seeing out of Virginia? Once upon a time, also a ruby red location, but not so much in the last 15 years or so. Well, what Obama was able to do in back in 06, 07, 08 is he re-registered Virginia to be literally half a million more Democrats in that state. 
And if we've looked, you know, this is a state George Bush wins um, over John Kerry fairly comfortably. Uh, by 08, uh, you have Obama beating McCain. Same thing in 2016. Clinton's able to hold this state. Now, what's interesting here is you're not going to have much of a Senate race with Warner and Gade. Um, but what you will have is concern about a huge turnout out in the southwestern part of the state. And that was that was happening in 2016. And if you remember, we didn't call Virginia for a very long time. Right. Because, yes, once Fairfax came in, uh, Prince George. But until that happened and even then it was competitive. So if there's a lull in the Biden vote, you might see Virginia come back. But the problem is the Democrats have been so strong um, down there winning the governor's races and statewide. It's hard to think that Virginia would swing back. But in 2016, it was one of those states that um, the, the pundits were looking at for sure. That's also a place that's significant for the same reason Pennsylvania is significant, because there is fracking out in southwestern Virginia, correct? Exactly. And so that's the issue that um, Trump has been running mm -hmm. on. But, you know, I don't think it's a new issue to voters. I think there's a right. general um, conception that uh, Republicans are for fracking, Democrats are not for fracking. And so while Biden is trying to straddle the fence, I think uh, to most of these folks who you do it as a livelihood, I think they, they're pretty much locked in with Trump at this point. Well, we mentioned Pennsylvania. What's your sense of that to the extent that it can be known? Um, it, it feels like it's a it's a state made up of two completely different voter bases, suburban, urban and, and of course, rural, uh, western and eastern. And then uh, Penn State in the middle. What, what, what do we what do we feel about the state of Pennsylvania <laughs> the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania? Sorry. I feel the Commonwealth is the keystone of this election. <laughs> um, well played. Well played. And uh, we need to see. Uh, I think we've got to see more. Um, but Trump is, uh, you know, it's, it, it'll be interesting because it's technically, I guess, Biden's home state. Yes. But um, Trump is obviously trying to make hay of that. We're going to see what happens out in Scranton because that district actually flipped from Obama to Trump. And if it flips back, it might be enough votes out of there. Philadelphia is going to be Philadelphia. I expect right. uh, Biden to walk out with a 480, 500,000 vote lead. Mm -hmm. um, but then we're, we've got to go all the way across the state to Erie uh, County mm -hmm. in the in the northwestern uh, part. Uh, if we start seeing those numbers like we saw in 2018 in those rural areas where Trump is getting 75 percent of the vote, uh, there might be another surprise coming to us in, in Pennsylvania. That's a state that's that's still close enough to uh, keep an eye on. We look, we've seen in these rallies, uh, the Mennonites and the, the Amish uh, have been showing up to these rallies and they were prominent just uh, last week. You could see uh, many, many of them coming in. That was that was a voting group that I, I think most people weren't polling or predicting or uh, assuming last time around. But they came out for Trump. Exactly. And, and that's that evangelical vote that mm -hmm. Trump has been able to you know, he, in my opinion, he's really delivered for them a lot of their yeah. their policies. Um, a lot of it's been under the radar, but I think in that community, they know what policies he's been, um, you know, even to moving the, uh, the consulate in Jerusalem. Uh, that's mm -hmm. a, a big policy for certain groups of voters. And so it'll be interesting to see if there's a hidden Trump vote sitting there in the churches uh, that will come out on election day that was just maybe being underrepresented because you got to remember we're going to have somewhere between like seven and 15 million more voters 
this election. Right. Who are those people? Um, yeah, some of them are those who have become eligible to vote. They're now 18 years old or 21 mm-hmm. years old because, mm-hmm. but you know, there's a lot of new people coming back into the fold and I'm not sure if it's an anti-Trump or a pro-Trump stance that is, is motivating them at this point. Uh, when you when you look at you, you mentioned North Carolina, obviously it's up in it's up in the air. We don't know what's going to happen in, in North Carolina. Do you expect that Lindsey Graham will return to the Senate from South Carolina? Yeah, having looked at South Carolina for a little bit, um, it seems that he's been pretty steady in that race. I know you may have seen some other polls that may have had it uh, closer, maybe even Harrison winning, but uh, we've seen Graham up five points or so the, the mostly the entire race mm-hmm. uh trump doing slightly better than him so trump should be able to pull him over the finish line um i think the uh the supreme court hearings kind mm-hmm. of if if there was doubt for graham within the state i think that kind of solidified it for him um and we saw that in the numbers last week let's uh let's go down to the fifth borough of uh, the sixth borough of New York City, and that would be Florida. Uh, obviously, you know, in Florida, people say the further the further north you go, the further south you get. And they've had a huge influx of people. They've had COVID issues. You've had drama at the villages. Is there any way to shake out Florida, Spencer, at this point, uh, given the, the divisions uh, of, of, of you've got, you know, transplant Northeasterners, you've got Latinos, Hispanics, Cubans, Puerto Ricans. I mean, this is this is an, it, it, it's such a microcosm of America, broadly speaking. Yeah, Florida is, um, again, this is a reason why I'm going to watch the results on election night. <laughs> we're, we're talking about, you know, this is a close state, always is a close state. Now, the good news for, you know, good and bad news is for, for Biden is he seems to be getting some of the vote out of Miami-Dade, out of Broward. That's the southwestern part of the state with a huge Hispanic community. Uh, same thing out in Orange County. That's where Orlando is. Mm-hmm. Um, that's uh, another going to be strong area. If Biden, if in you know Tampa, so those are going to be Biden areas, and they seem to be voting at a at a good propensity. But so is the Panhandle, and uh, what we saw in 2016, remember, is Clinton outdoes Obama by 300,000 votes in Florida. So that's why Clinton is so excited because she's like, I'm getting right. more votes than Obama. I got to win this thing. Uh, Trump destroys any Republican record. He gets 400,000 more votes than Romney. And so there you go. If more people, and we'll see, obviously we're living in a pandemic. Uh, We've had four years of a Trump administration. They, we don't, you know, my biggest concern is that we're listening too much to talking heads on television and not to people living in the country. And we might be literally having two conversations that are, you know, talking past each other and on election day we'll see if that's the case you know i I put on i put on these cable channels and i see you know trump uh uh, uh, biden up 18 in this state or 22 in that state these feel like wildly outsized numbers for an election that's this close am i am i am i wrong in concluding that i'm in that camp with you that trump has a strong base let's you know let's not forget this base it was gonna you know it carried him through the Mm -hmm. entire this entire process you know and it's and people don't like the comparison but it's true it's obama had a very similar active base there was yep. a lot of motivation you may have disliked him and just like there's people that dislike trump sure but he also had a lot of people that loved him and now that got a lot of more attention than the trump you know fandom 
But I think it's real. It's real. And McCain didn't have it, and Romney didn't have it. They didn't have those bases. And it'll be interesting to see if a base campaign like Trump can beat a what I think in, in what Biden has created is a loose coalition mm-hmm. of, of anti-Trump, but not a real issue. And I mean, outside of Trump himself. So it'll be interesting if people come out. You know, what I saw in 2012 was a lot more votes for Obama than people thought. And it was mm-hmm. because of that passion people had for him. They didn't have that for Romney. And that's, you know something that we'll, we'll have to keep in mind. Remember, also, Ohio is going to be an interesting state. Yes. You know, you got the auto bailout out of Obama and Biden. Biden is still trying to claim, you know, that that part, that, that um, you know, Toledo area of the state. Mm-hmm. But on the same hand, he's going to have struggles in that southwestern in the coal country, like we talked about in, right. you know, these other areas of uh, Virginia and mm-hmm. in Pennsylvania, um, because primarily because of Clinton, of what she said in 2016 about uh, going to take away their jobs. And you got to remember to some extent to Obama in 08, remember when he talked about Mm -hmm. guns and Bibles, Um, Mm -hmm. you know, these are things that some voters don't forget. And we'll see if, you know, Biden is trying to hold this coalition of, of kind of pulling some of that Trump white vote away, if he can really hold it for another couple of days. Okay, final, I have one last question, but I'm going to have a 1A and a 1B. I'll give you the 1B first, then the 1A after that. Um, We hear a lot, I watch Karl Rove, I see a lot of people, uh, Maine 2 and Nebraska 2. What is that phenomenon? Are they going to come into play in this regard, Spencer Kimball? Well, we're polling both of them as we speak. So okay. I agree that Maine 2 and Nebraska 2 are important races. If you think about it, Trump had 306 uh, electoral votes. And mm-hmm. so just to quickly do the math, if he was to lose Wisconsin and Michigan, that's 26. 16 out of Michigan, 10 out of Wisconsin. That takes him to 280. Now, all of a sudden, we go to Arizona. If that state was to flip, that puts him at 269. Now we have a tie. Uh, now, all of a sudden, you know, the second district of either one of these areas uh, could be the difference maker in the election. So um, there's a, a lot of different scenarios in play that makes o- Omaha. Uh, that's where the second district is in um, Nebraska. Remember, Nebraska is a, a state with Ben Sass, who is a Republican senator who is anti-Trump um, and he's in a in a joke of a race against a guy, uh, mm-hmm. Genesis, I think. Chris. So that's a big race. Uh, Obama wins it in 08. He's the only person to have taken the second district. Um, it's only been around for about 20 years. Um, and then you have Maine's second district, the rural area. And again, that's an area where Trump takes it for the first time ever in 2016. He's still competing up there. Um, but you also have uh, the Democrats are putting a lot of money in Jared Golden. He beat Bruce Poliquin. And we got to remember up in Maine, you got this ranked choice voting. Yes. Um, and so you've got, you've got a, a few extra moving parts over there. <laughs> um, and we've got the Senate race right. with Gideon and Collins. Um, and just to kind of tie that all up for you, I think if Collins loses that race, it's going to be because of ranked choice voting. She might be ahead in the original vote, but yeah. she's going to lose it. She's not going to get to 50%. And um, you're going to see why the value of ranked choice voting, it would be twice in Maine that a Republican wow. won a plurality, but then ended up losing um, if that was to hold. Gimmicks. So, 
gimmicks, yeah. these these gimmicky yeah. votes. I mean, look in the in, in North Carolina, the Supreme Court just just came out and said, listen, um, you can you can submit your ballots until November the 9th, for goodness sakes. I mean, this is insane. It, it, it's just it's just it's just Looney Tunes. OK, this is the final question. This is the final. I'm not, I'm not going to ask you like how it's going to turn out because you've just laid out a, a really interesting roadmap. And people are going to have to watch and see. Nobody knows. Exactly. But we have gone, I think, about 14 minutes or so, Spencer Campbell. And I haven't mentioned Hunter. Um, is, is that resonate? I mean, it feels like it's believable. Bobolinsky. I had Rudy Giuliani on this week. What is the role of that notion of potential corruption or there was corruption, or there may be corruption? Is that playing or is it depend on which horse you're betting on that you're going to invest in it? So when I first heard the story, I was thinking uh, irrelevant. People are living with COVID and that's what they care about. But I also am very, very conscious that I have been wrong many times with Trump's communication strategy. Mm-hmm. Uh, anything from the John McCain comments back in you know 2015 sure. to the I you know blood to whatever. Um, I've always thought you know that those would be ending points. And but what I've been taught is that he has a sense of of the pulse of of the of the public that some of us don't have, and that these comments that he makes they ended up hurt, helping him. Uh, we we saw his poll numbers go up over you know a couple of weeks after these these events or, or these comments. So at first I'm sitting there thinking, you know, how is this? But I, in my mind, I'm like, well, it's helped him in the past. And the only thing I can, I can conclude is Biden does have a strong favorability. Uh, people think he's a nice guy. Well, this tarnishes a little of that nice guy image. And now I agree with you. If you're voting for Joe Biden, this is not going to move the needle. Right. But if you are on the fence and you're like, well, he's a nice guy. And he said, oh, I don't know about the sun. Uh, now mm-hmm. it might raise that doubt in your mind that maybe he's not as nice of a guy as you thought. And, that, um, and that's the type of scorched earth campaigning that Trump is going to run through the election with. And I'm not convinced that it won't work. Uh, so I think uh, they've decided that this is going to be their, their, their closing statement. And we'll see if voters are... Uh, create the anxiety that they say, you know what, I don't really want to go into that. We have this. And um, so I won't dismiss it out of hand. And I think as long as it's being discussed and it is being discussed, I see it pop up in news feeds, you know, FBI looking at this or not looking at that. And so it is, it's being part of the conversation. And I think overall it's a bad story to be talking about with Biden. Um, and so we'll see if uh, we'll see if it at the end of the day, if it will keep a voter from coming out to vote or if it switches a person's attitude on uh, who he is. Great stuff. Spencer Kimball. Follow him on Twitter at, at uh, Emerson Polling. Spencer Kimball joining us uh, just to close the loop on that. When will the uh, Nebraska two main two stuff drop so people can uh, catch up with it out there on the Twitter? So, Brett, I think you'll appreciate this. On Sunday, we have Super Poll Sunday here at Emerson College. So, nice. Super Poll, and we will be releasing results throughout the day. Um, so, follow us on Emerson at Emerson uh, Polling, mm-hmm. and uh, the Super Poll will uh, will lay out about fifteen states, including Don't- Maine and mm-hmm. Nebraska's second. 
all right, don't be surprised if I call you and say I need you for a quick emergency dip in here, you know, uh, based on what well, makes we hope you'll join us at the Super Bowl. So, I, I want to uh, be on the Super so Bowl. I'm in. I'm in. Uh, we'll make sure we'll get you the Zoom link and uh, yes. you can join us for halftime. All right. Well, I'm in. I'm in 100%. Spencer Campbell, thanks for coming by, man. I appreciate you. My pleasure. Thank you, Brett. Thank you. I'm Brett Winterbull. That's Spencer Campbell. Devious Motives with Brett Winterbull. Monday, it's a new episode of All Rise, the legal drama where one judge is shaking up the system. When I take the bench, I'm taking a vow to fight for justice. One case at a time. Your Honor. We're going to trial. Simone Misick is Judge Lola Carmichael. Up on that bench. Everything is different. A new episode of All Rise. Freedom is at stake. It's important. Followed by a new episode of Bull, Monday at 9, 8 central on CBS. Hackers are after your business data. I can help. I am Vi, the virtual intelligence assistant at Virtual Armor. Virtual Armor, partnered with Juniper Networks, provides cybersecurity services and end-to-end solutions to keep what's yours, yours. Defend yourself with managed firewall and managed SIM essential core services that are economical and efficient. Virtual Armor goes beyond just initial alerting to provide a thorough report on threats, vulnerabilities, and results. Let me help protect you. Contact me at JustAskVi. That's vi.com.